Well, just a couple of things as you turn to Romans. If you're a guest with us, we're going through the book of Romans. We are just finding ourselves in the very first chapter, verses 8 through 15. We're coming into the study to look at basically the profile of a servant and in our text, which is, is quite um, amazing. But I want you to think about as we read the text is to realize Paul is being so personal here. In, a, in, a, in a, a book where Paul gets so theological, he gets so deep about what we have because of Christ, he, gets, he draws out every little implication or every little purpose of our salvation, and he gets real technical, so that way we know what we have in Christ. But in this section, he is so personal in his life. And we see some very beautiful things. I'm reminded of Hebrews 13 and verse 7. And he says, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. And, and it's interesting because he says not just any leader, but those who specifically spoke God's word, who pointed you, and the idea here is that pointed you and directed you to God's word. And then he said this, he says, consider the outcome of their way of life. Not just that they spoke God's word, but their way of life also matched that word. Look at the outcome of their life. And then he says, and imitate their faith. I know Paul said various things, various ways, very similar to this. He told the Corinthian church, remember the Corinthian church was fighting about who do they follow, right? We follow, no, we follow Paul. Well, I was baptized by Apollos, so we follow Apollos, right? Who do, you know, it's like, you know, who's the better theologian? That's who we're going to follow. And they were comparing people in the church, who they were going to follow. And Paul made a very clear statement. He says, only follow me as I follow Christ. He wanted them to follow him, not because of who Paul is, but because who Christ is. And we know that Paul considers himself a slave of Christ. He, sl- he considers himself a prisoner of Christ. He, com- he considers him a child of God. And, and he's saying, and because of what God has done for me, he shares a little bit about himself as he talks to the church in Rome. And as we look at this very personal statement of Paul, we can learn a profile or we can see a picture of what it means to be a servant of Christ or a a servant of the Lord, a slave of the Lord, or part of the family of God and, and someone to emulate because of how he valued Christ. And so that's where we want to go this morning in finishing up. Uh, part two in this uh, series of a profile of a servant. So would you pray with me as we read our text, verses 8 through 15 this morning. Lord, we ask that we would enjoy these truths, that we would be hearers of your truth, that we would see the plain aspect of this truth, that we would get a glimpse of what it means to be a follower of Christ or to live out our faith. 
to have genuine faith, to be a, a servant of the Lord, to be a slave of the Lord. What does that look like? How does that play out in our interactions with one another? And Lord, that you would just use the life of Paul and, and how he approaches the church in Rome. May you teach us and guide us and, and encourage us, challenge us, that we might grow and to love you more. And not just to, to hear with our ears, but that we might know and experience it in our heart your truth this morning. So open our heart and our eyes and our ears as we read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 1, verse 8, as we've already discussed, Paul has shared who he is because of Christ. He's shown that Christ is the gospel. And now he says to the church in Rome, he says in verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because of your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how, without ceasing, I make mention of you, always in my prayers, earnestly asking if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long, I long to see you so that I might impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be strengthened. That is, to be mutually encouraged while among you by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may have some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. In this way, for my part, I am eager to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome." We see this very personal aspect of, of Paul, and in this personal aspect, we noted some things that in verse 8 that he was a thankful. He is always extremely thankful in verse 8 because of their faith. We learn that as a profile of a, a servant, we would possess a very genuine, very dynamic faith, a faith that's not static, that say, yeah, I have faith and that's it, but a, a dynamic faith, a faith that is being proclaimed, that people know that you love the Lord, that you trust the Lord, that your life is in the Lord. And that was the faith of the Rome, those that were in Rome. Not only that, but that he served, Paul was a servant being servant, that he was a worshipful servant, that he was worshiping the Lord in his service, and in his service, he worshiped the Lord. We learn that as a profile of a servant, a picture of a, a real genuine servant is one who serves as worship and worships as a form of service. You, they're both together. You can't have one without the other. You need to have both. 
not only that, but uh, that they pray often. And as Paul in verse 9 talks about not only that he's served, but that he's always making mention of them, that he's praying for them. You see, in a very personal way, as he's living out this life of Christ, that he's in prayer for one another, praying for the church. He also longs to be with them, and that kind of gets us to where we are in verse 11. He starts off again in a very personal way that he longs, he desires, he wants to be there. He's been prohibited to be there. We know in Acts that often when he was preparing to go to Rome, that the Holy Spirit said, no, go over here. There's others. And that God had another plan for Paul to get to Rome. But that didn't mean that he didn't desire that. That he didn't desire to have that fellowship, to to strengthen them, to be with them. And we see that this idea of a Christian should possess a desire for believers to be mature. That a profile of a believer or of a servant of the Lord would desire for believers to be mature and to be strong in the faith. And he says, that I may impart some spiritual gift to you in verse 11. He desired to come and and to spiritually strengthen the church. He He knew that they were believers. He knew that they knew the gospel. He knew that they knew Christ. But he wanted to strengthen that understanding. And he did that. If you look at Rome or the book of Romans, he imparted such great understanding of salvation, more than in any other book. It sounds interesting. It sounds like Paul is saying that he's going to go and give them spiritual gifts, like the Holy Spirit does. That sounds a little odd, and when you come to a passage that sounds a little odd, you got to do a little more digging. And as you do a little more digging, as I look at all the passages, if you look at Ephesians, if you look at Philippians, if you look at Colossians, whenever Paul wrote to a church, he had this same concept that he wants the church to be stronger, to be more mature, not to be driven by all sorts of things and doctrines and teachings, but to be close to the relationship with the Lord. He didn't want them to be tossed to and fro by just any teaching. And so what is he saying here about spiritual gifts? It doesn't fit with what the job of the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit's job when he saves you is to give you a gift to use for the building up of the body of Christ. It's not necessarily to strengthen you, it's to strengthen the church. And that is not the object of what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that he wants the church to be strengthened. The the purpose of imparting this gift, Paul seems to be saying is, well, he doesn't seem to be, but he does, to make you stronger. It's to suggest um, that he made an idea that he's saying, I want to come and to help you to spiritually be mature. One theologian put it this way, he says, he is sharing that he wants to impart the gift of understanding of the gospel. What does it mean that God saved you? How does it work? And what does this mean for the rest of your life? He doesn't want them to be unaware. He doesn't want them to be worried. 
They need to keep getting saved. Or are they saved for the rest of eternity? Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. He says, As Paul exercised his gift of teaching, imparting especially his understanding of justification by faith alone in Christ alone, based on Romans 3 and 4 and 5, these believers, he wanted them to be more established and grounded in their faith. This is exactly what Paul said in Colossians 1 and verses 9 and following. He says, And so, from the day that we've heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, just like here in Romans, asking that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It's almost has all the same words that we see here in Romans. Which is interesting, to be established or to be strengthened. Some translations say strengthened. Some say established in their faith. It's a very unique word. In fact, this was the Greeks used this word to picture a, a column, or they would call it a buttress. It was a column to bring stability or support. The basic idea was to stabilize, just like if you've lived here long enough, or like Marianne, were born in the church, right? Maybe you remember jumping up and down in the balcony, and you felt the balcony flex and move, right? And it would move. It wasn't altogether stable. So one of the uh, former church uh, people that came to church here engineered a way, and up Below the balcony now is a steel I-beam to make the balcony rigid. So you guys up there, don't fall through and land on the people below you, right? It's to bring stability, to bring strength. We want stability, don't we? We don't, I don't know about you, but the, how many of you like uh, those uh, rope bridges, right? You go across... Have you ever been on one of those rope bridges where you have, to have, you have to hold on to the rope on each side? And as it begins to shake and move, what do you do? You grip the rope tighter, right? And you pull it in. And what happens? The more you pull it in, the more less stable it becomes. I remember the first time I went on one, I was like gripping it, right? And I was like muscling myself across the bridge. And the leader that was taking us through the exercise was laughing at me because he, he goes, boy, you have a lot of determination to do it your way. <laughs> and he goes, let me give you an idea. He says, push out. And we pushed out on those ropes and it became stable. And it's like, you could, I was like, wow, this is easy. It takes almost no effort. That's the word here to be strengthened or to be established is Paul is saying that he wanted to provide more support, strength, so that they don't totter to and fro, to be carried by every wave of that storm that hits them. 
that they would be stable in their relationship with the Lord. Ephesians 4, in verse 14, he said this way, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he says, so that you may no longer be children, right? Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul wanted the church to be mature and stable, growing, faithful, that their, their faith would continue to flourish. He wanted them to stand firm in the faith. Have you ever thought about, that's what all of us should desire as as faithful men and women of the Lord, as believers, every Christian should desire to possess this idea of helping other believers to be stable in their faith. That's what Paul's desire was when he came to them. Have you ever thought of it that way, that when I come and I worship and I serve or I'm doing these things, am I, is my desire to help stabilize? Not the church as a building, but as a body, as people, to encourage one another. But no sooner had this idea come out of Paul's mouth in verse 11, we see verse 12. And he's not desiring to set himself up as the chief stabilizer or the buttress of the truth to the believers in Rome as if he were somehow superior to them, but he immediately adds something very important that we need to possess as servants, as believers, an important qualification. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by one another Be encouraged by our faith in the Lord. Look at verse 12. He says, that is, he goes on to talk about being strengthened, but that is to be mutually encouraged well among you by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul isn't putting himself out there as the lone wolf. He's saying, look, you guys affect me. You encourage me by your faith, and I can encourage you by my faith. There's this mutual encouragement as we share our faith in the Lord together. As we fellowship together. We see this many times in Hebrews 10, 24. It's always shared that we need to always be meeting together, right? We always focus on the meeting together, but look at why we should be meeting together. In verse 24 of Hebrews 10, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Even though Paul was a very gifted, knowledgeable man, the ministry would not be only one way. The idea here is is that Paul is saying, it's not just me that's going to be ministering, but you also will be ministering to me. He quickly acknowledges this idea of of be encouraging one another. That's probably the greatest joy of spending time together, especially those that are struggling 
to watch how their faith is lived out, even in the midst of struggles. There's nothing more encouraging to me as a pastor to see people's faith being proclaimed. It does. It gives me great strength and great joy. Just as Paul was looking. And sometimes we forget this as we are thinking about the portrait of a, of a believer, a portrait of a servant of Christ, is this idea of, of encouraging one another. Sorry, I didn't move on. But to possess a desire of mutual encouragement. And we're not just coming to church to be encouraged, but to go to church to also encourage. Uh, so many times I go to people to encourage them, and they always end up in some way encouraging me. And that's what Paul was saying to the church in Rome. In verse 13, we see that what every Christian should possess is a desire to be fruitful. In verse 13, he goes on to say to the church, he says, I I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. You know, he says, look, I've been trying to come to you. I want to come to you. I want to see some fruit. I want to see more fruit. In a sense, he was saying, I'm not just I'm not just writing the book of Romans to you, this letter. I'm not writing this personal aspect in my prayer to you just so that way you would be encouraged, just you, but that there would be more of you, more fruit. And he says, so that I may have some fruit among you also. Some fruit. John 15 and Verse 8, Jesus said this, that one of our purposes as a believer is to produce fruit. He says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Paul wanted to attain some fruit among them. And don't get me wrong, this is not saying that Paul is, is producing the fruit but that he's seeing the, the benefit and the reaping of the fruit. We should desire to be fruitful, to be pruned by the Lord, to see fruit come from our life. He is mainly referring to new converts, but there's other aspects of being fruitful. In Colossians 1, in verse 10, he says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of Him. There's different aspects of being fruitful and increasing in our understanding and our relationship with the Lord and and growing in our ability to serve the Lord is all fruitful things. Of course, all of that fruit is produced through Christ. We see that there's an attitude of fruitfulness. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are the attitudes that come through Christ, a personal relationship with Christ, that come through the Holy Spirit that produces in our life. This is an attitude. We not only have attitudes, but we have activity. Romans 6, we see that there's holy living, 
or in Colossians that we just read, that there's a worthy walk. There's this active idea of acting in obedience. There's praising the Lord. There's this active praising the Lord in Hebrews 13, 15, or in, right, in uh, Philippians 4, 4, rejoicing in the Lord always, praising the Lord, rejoicing in what God has done for you. There's giving in Philippians 4, verses 16 through 17, or in, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, having this giving spirit. There's this activity of fruitfulness. God wants us to bear fruit through this idea of an attitude, having an attitude or a spirit that comes from the Lord, or this activity that is for the Lord, but there's also this idea of addition. In John 15, verses 15 through 17, he says in verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you also. These things I have commanded you, that you should love one another. Whether the fruit you bear for the Lord is manifested in your attitudes or your activity or in the addition of seeing people come to the Lord, there's this idea that God wants us to be always bearing fruit. But yet we rarely see the need to bear fruit. There's this idea that we're doing the work that God has prepared for us or enabled us to do for his glory. Are we focusing on producing what we want or are we focusing on producing what God wants? How many people, it's funny, bearing fruit, by the way, has this idea of pruning and gathering and, and has this idea of watering and has all this idea of what, where it's planted. And if your life is planted in the gospel, you're going to share the gospel. And if you share the good news of what Jesus has done for you and that's where your life is planted, there your heart will be also. And if your heart is there, you're going to share the gospel and you're going to see fruit not because you produce it, but because of the work of Christ through you, you'll see produced in other people. Do you see your life producing fruit? Paul desired to see more fruit produced. He wasn't excited about stagnant faith. He was excited about dynamic faith. As we conclude this morning, I think it's safe to say that Paul represents what every Christian should be and desire to be. Not because Paul is great, but because of the one he follows is great in Christ. I wonder if you've taken the time to think about this as a believer and examine your own life. And here are some things to, that we can take away from these three points. And and that is this, there needs to be a desire to add understanding of God to each other's life, not just to take from each other's life, but are we helping each other understand God more and more? Are we helping people pursue Christ? Are we helping people to know God's character, to know who God is? Or are we more concerned about being known? 
There needs to be a strong desire to build up one another. Are we coming to church looking how we might spur on one another towards love and good deeds? Or are we becoming as a thorn in the flesh, right? I, was, I love listening to Susie. She was like, yeah, she was preparing for Mother's Day because somebody wanted to give her, his mother 81 roses. And so she was dethorning all of those roses. <laughs> she said, I was thinking, wow, that is a time-consuming task. How many of us would take the time to be dethorned so we can just be sweet-smelling gift to those around us? How many of us desire to be dethorned? thorned. Not very often. When somebody points out a fault, we usually bristle, right? We show our thorn more. We don't like to be dethorned. We need desire to encourage one another, as Paul did. There needs to be a strong, active attitude that seeks to add people to the family of God We need more parents and grandparents. I didn't just put that in there because now I'm a grandparent. (laughs) Because I am still a parent. I haven't graduated to full-blown grandparenthood. But here's the thing. One of my favorite things when I went to Africa and and I got to meet other brothers and sisters in the Lord... They would come and they would introduce themselves and they they would come and say, I'm the son of so-and-so. And it was a missionary that we knew. And I was like, did he adopt you? And he says, no, he led me to Christ. I'm his son. And and another person says, I'm the grandson of so-and-so, this other missionary. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah, he led my spiritual father to the Lord, and that my spiritual father led me to the Lord. We need grandmas and grandpas. We need parents. Do we see this kind of addition in the church? Are there areas where you, I know some of these, I wrestled with this week. Are there areas that need to be surrendered? Are there areas that you say, yeah, I struggle there, but you haven't been willing to surrender? You struggled with. Surrender to the Lord. Are there motives that need to be addressed? Are there motives that maybe necessarily God didn't give you for coming to church? And you need to surrender them to the Lord. And you need to pick up some of these motives of why Paul wanted to go to Rome and be with them. Are there motives that need to be addressed? Is there a lack of eagerness and urgency that needs to be confessed and dealt with? The praise is is that God wants to embrace those things and love on you and call you son and daughter. As we close and as we come to the Lord, as we sing, as we pray, He alone can 
turn you into this picture of a believer, this portrait of this very sensitive man who once was very hardened by the law. Paul was a slave to the law. Paul was a slave to good deeds. He was a slave, and he was hard, killing Christians, dividing the body of Christ. But now he's very tender, very loving, having an attitude of Christ, a slave to Christ, a lover of people, because he's a lover of Christ. As he loves Christ, so as he loves people. He wants to add more people to the body of Christ to make them. We need, he doesn't want to, he doesn't care about numbers. He cares about God's family. He cares about God's work. He cares about being encouraged and fellowshipping together and rejoicing in what God has done. And only way that God could do it as the one who adds and builds the church. I, I pray that you could be blessed and encouraged by this portrait of a Christian that was lived out in the life of Paul, and that we can learn from that as we study the rest of Romans. Lord, we thank you, and I pray that we would humbly come, and if there's any areas that we are struggling with, that we'd be honest, and we just deal with that, come to you with open arms and surrender to you. Because, Lord, you will grow and nourish us through those struggles just as you did, Paul, as you gave him a new attitude, a new outlook in life. So you, too, change our hearts to have a new outlook, a new portrait, a new desire in life. And as we look at some of these desires May you strengthen and grow us in our pursuit of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.